Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. We started the series I'm calling Practice Makes Better. And it's really about the struggle that so many people have. I relate early in my faith. I certainly struggled with this uh, to a large degree. So many people have this block between the concept that God is good and I believe he's there and we come to church and we hear that he's, he's good and he came to rescue us and he came to rescue planet earth, a block between that understanding and the reality of experiencing him, actually knowing him, actually learning the voice of God, seeing the activity of God happening in front of us in your life in your career, in your relationships. And we have boiled this down to this problem of why can't I see God? Why doesn't God seem real to me to the the, the paradigm or the understanding that faith is really about learning more, learning more about who God is. And depending on your church background, whether you grew up in church or you have any kind of church experience, chances are you've been taught that the primary function of faith in this world is learning more about God. And Jesus tells us that that actually becomes a dead end if, if the summation of your life of faith is learning more knowledge. That eventually you're going to end up dead inside spiritually because the portal to God, the opening, the pathway to experiencing his reality is putting into practice what we've come to believe about the reality of Jesus. Putting into practice who Jesus is and what Jesus does, what he models. What is the common perception of what we will be doing in eternity? For, for those who believe, let's just say in our society, in our society, in, in our just general world, when, when people look ahead and see us in, in heaven, in eternity. What is it that we primarily will do? What is God's expectation of us? What will our activity consist of? What will God expect of us? And go ahead, don't, don't, don't be afraid to get it wrong. Just, just what's your, what do you think the general perception is that we'll be doing in eternity? Let's say for the first 100 years, first 10 years, first Worshiping. Somebody said worshiping. Like meaning like singing songs, like before a really big throne, right? Something like that. Um, anybody else kind of agree? A similar kind of thought? It's being in his presence. Mm-hmm. Maybe clouds are a part of it. Like there's clouds kind of around. Why do we, why is that the perception when it's not in the story of, of God, it's not in Scripture. Why does most of the world envision that being the primary function of humans in eternity? And in, to a large degree, it's what people who fill churches believe. I grew up uh, in the 70s and 80s watching Saturday cartoons, and from Tom and Jerry to so many different cartoons, there were these just kind of iconic images of spiritual 
spirituality. Like um, often you'd see a little devil on one shoulder and a little angel, you know, and the, the temptation, you know, and Tomcat is, you know, is he listening to the angel or listening to, and, and those same images are true of heaven being like lots of clouds and, and floating um, harps and, and lots of singing. And I think we have this mashup of Greek mythology and sort of piecing together what grandpa thought about heaven. And we have this sort of image that God does not describe in scripture. I told some of you a year ago about our first Sunday here at Light Ridge. We launched here about a year and a half ago. And uh, our dear friends in Philadelphia, Amy's childhood longtime friend, and their family came down for our first Sunday at Light Ridge. And um, if you were here, some of you might have met them. And after our morning gathering here, we, we went to lunch with them before they headed back to, to Philly. And the mom and wife, they're, they're, they're really committed to their church and just committed in their faith to Jesus. Um, the whole family is. And, and during lunch, the mom, the wife, Amy's longtime friend, leaned over to me and she said, I need to say this quietly. She whispered, um, I don't want my kids to hear me say this, but I need to talk to you. I said, yeah, what's up? She said, I've decided I don't want to go to heaven. And I said, oh, and I made some kind of joke about, you know, I I, I never saw her as the kind of person that would end up in heaven or something like that, you know. And she's like, ha ha, very funny. And she's like, no, I just, I've decided I I don't want to go there. And I said, yeah, why? Why? And we're whispering. And she said, because I like I like having friends, and I like having neighbors. And she starts telling me about dinners. They have dinners on Friday nights, and she loves it. She loves the laughter around it. And her husband has been rebuilding old cars from the 50s, and I mean, like, putting them in mint condition, and it's amazing. You go out in his garage and sit in these cars, and it's, we've, we've had some really cool conversations in his garage. She's like, it's just he loves building things. And I said, you don't think we're going to be building or creating things like in eternity? And she was like, no. And I said, you don't think we're going to have friends? And, he, and she was like, we're not going to have time for those, th- those kinds of things. And I knew what she was going to say. I knew it because I know so many people who fill churches think this. I said, why not? Why, why, why are we not going to have it? She said, because we're going to be worshiping. And I said, yeah, what, what does that look like to you? She said, we're, we'll be kneeling or bowing. And I said, for a long time, right? And she said, yeah. I said, how long do you think? She, I think she said 10,000 years. I think we're going to be bowing for like 10,000 years, just worshiping. And she was like, I'd just rather have friends. And you've probably thought something like this too. You probably have. And it affects our motivation to actually practice the way of Jesus. Now, when you and I believe that the natural world just developed on its own, without intentionality, without intentional design, and and, and we understand this. This is a concept. It's a very commonly held concept now in, in, in culture and in philosophy, and on college campuses, and just in the world in general, that the world has just naturally developed on its own without intentional design, it leaves you and me feeling that we need to be in control. 
And understandably, somebody needs to be in control. Somebody needs to be in control of my life, and somebody needs to be in control of the world. And what better person than me? This is our instinct when we think that the world is just developed on its own. And by the way, it's interesting that, you know, with all the advancements and where our technology is, you'd think that we'd be, we'd be better than we are today. I mean, we're so divided. We're politically divided. We have so much stress. There's wars. There's political, geopolitical stress, even new stress this week. It's like we want to turn off the news. Fewer and fewer people are paying attention to the news just for their mental health. You'd think that if the world was advancing naturally on its own, that we would be developing beyond where we are in just still racism and, and divide and loud opinions in the fights that are had on social media. When we believe the world is just developed on its own without intentional design, we want to be in control. Somebody needs to be in control, and that leads us to believe that God just, he does sort of show up randomly at times. And when he does, he shows up to, to, to really hijack our designs and our dreams, the desires we have for our friends and our families, and the desires we have to, to, to build a nice home or have a nice retirement. And instead, what God has sort of interrupted our lives with randomly, you can't really make sense of him because he just doesn't seem to have any intentional design. He shows up when he wants to. And it seems like his agenda for us is to be really devoted to him, so much so that someday in the distant future, we will bow before him for thousands of years. And that leads us to want to be in control. It reinforces our desire to stay in control and to practice being in control. Why would we relinquish control to a God who seems random and there doesn't seem to be much design, particularly for us humans, when you look at the chaos that we're in? And what I believe is that what you and I conceive or believe as our purpose, our role now, right now, and our our eternal, like forever role, whatever we believe about our purpose has everything to do with whether you're going to feel motivated or totally uninspired to engage with God, to practice engaging with God. Jesus said, the foolish builder who's building their life and building their future builds on sand by hearing my words. They actually hear my words, but they don't put them into practice. It's like the foolish builder who's going to build and build and work and work and do all of these things. And when storms come and storms rage, the house is going to shake and collapse. That's what the future looks like, the interpersonal future, the relational consistency of a person who's building Listening to lots of words in church, listening over and over to another message, another song with lyrics about who God is, but not actually practicing him. This is in Matthew chapter 7. It's the way Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. But the wise person who's actually building a future that lasts, a life that lasts, relationships that matter, that are relationships of substance, the person who actually makes a difference 
For eternity is the one who hears my words, Jesus says, and actually puts them into practice. And I believe our motivation to practice Jesus is affected by what we think our role is. And if you think your role, you know, maybe you've never wanted to say it out loud, like I think my ultimate role, my ultimate purpose is to bow and worship and sing and listen. Our band, we, we love the songs we do here. There is such a precious, important role of music. Music connects us emotionally. God designed music to connect us emotionally to thoughts, to history, to experiences, to stories. God designed music. To, it's, it's one of the connecting points for us to really emotionally connect to him. But the idea that God created us so that we would just sing songs to him forever, that is not the story of Scripture. Last week I talked about how if we looked at this idea that what we do practice, what you and I are taught to practice, what's modeled for us in this world, particularly in media and the news, is we practice weekly, I would say even daily, things like anxiety and fear. We have learned the pattern and we rehearse it over and over and we get better and better at worrying about what people think of us. We worry about what could go wrong. That's really the core. The core piece of anxiety is what if. But what about this? What if I haven't thought this through? What? We become so good at that. We're such an anxious, anxiety-ridden culture today. We don't realize we're practicing certain mental cycles what could go wrong? What if, what if this goes wrong? What, what if this happens? And we even start questioning ourselves. What if something's wrong with me? And we practice trying to control conversations. We try to control what people think of us. And we do this when we look inward, thinking that there's no actual design or purpose for our lives to create or produce or build something that's beautiful, which is actually what we were made for. So let's go to the source itself. I want to look at the very beginning when we were created. And I want to look at what God says about why he designed us, what we were made for. And by the way, the first two chapters of Scripture are repeated essentially in the last two chapters of Scripture. If you go all the way to the end of Revelation, and Revelation is this mysterious book with imagery and symbolism and metaphors, and there's lots of debates about what it means... But what's clear is when Jesus has remade the earth, the new heavens and new earth have come because of his presence and human space is now overlaid again with God's space. It looks like the Garden of Eden. It looks like what he started with. And that is the whole purpose of what God's movement is on, the, on earth. It's the ultimate purpose of the church that we be part of his movement of renewing what's been lost and broken. And so that's just a subnote here that the end of Scripture, the last couple chapters, are describing again the picture of what we were made for, what we were intended to be, with a lot of garden imagery of what creation really was supposed to look like before, before we broke everything. So let's go to the beginning. And let's just, let's just open our minds. Let's kind of get the... The angels and harps and clouds, no friends, no dinners. Jesus himself in Luke 14, he describes the centerpiece of what our relationship with God is going to look like in eternity is a feast. 
with wine and amazing food and seats that are just open for the outsiders. I mean, this is an elaborate picture of Jesus. He doesn't describe harps and angels and us bowing. He describes us feasting with him, having been invited to his table. So let's remove maybe the paradigms or the, the images that we've had for whatever reason, and let's look at what God actually designed us to be. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, we're going to just abbreviate over the, the next sections. Each phase of creation, God says, it's good. It's this statement. It's this proclamation. Um, the living creatures on the land, it's good. You know, we see this in verse 4, the light that he created was good. In verse 10, and God saw that it was good. And then the land, the vegetation, seed-bearing vegetation, and in verse 12, and God saw that it was good. There'd be lights placed in the vault of the sky, and then two great lights that we know are the sun and the moon. And in this elaborate detail in verse 18, God evaluates that phase of creation, and it was good. And then he goes to the water, and it's teeming with life. He fills the waters and the seas with life. And verse 20 ends with, God saw that it was good. Verse 24, God saw that it was good. And here we come to the crux of whether you and I, if we grasp this, if we really understand what we're being told, what, what God's design is for us, it, it has this motivating effect where suddenly you care more about reading Scripture the story of God. You care more about practicing prayer as a way to actually hear the voice of God because you're motivated knowing what you were designed for. Otherwise, if it's, I mean, let, let's just be honest, that if I get in trouble for saying this, that's okay, I'll take it. It's just not very motivating on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday afternoon to think that I'm going to spend my first 10,000 years with God just sort of bowing in this repetition. Like, we know instinctually that we were designed by God for something different. And so we have this conflict happening internally between what we understand the paradigm to be and what we believe we were designed for. And that's what we come to in, here in verse 26. God said, let us make... This this collective conversation of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit conversing together. Let us make mankind, that's the word Adam. The Hebrew word Adam is translated, it used to be in English translated as man. It actually means mankind or humans. Let us make humans in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. In other words, all life. We'll get back to the rule over because that's problematic. That may be problematic like rule over. That sounds domineering. We'll get back to that in a moment. We humans are designed unlike anything else in the universe. Nothing has this capacity being made, fashioned, engineered in the image of God so that we would rule over all of the rest of his creation. It continues in verse 27. So God created Adam, again, humans, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's this understanding that male and female together will together emulate who God is, will reflect the image of God. 
God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea. It's like this repetitive, this, when, when scripture repeats, it's an intentional emphasis. It's, it's an emphatic use. I want you to get this. I want you to, I, I just said it and I'm going to say it again. That, that, that's what, this is so important is why God's repeating this. To rule over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And God saw all that he made. And it was very good. You and I were made in the image of God. Our design, our purpose is to image him. Yes, singing and songs matter. It's, it's a tool. It, it, it's, it's just like writing a love letter to someone and, you know, do I use the mail or do I send an email? I mean, it's a tool. Music is a tool. You are not designed. Your, your explicit purpose is not to sing to God forever. It is to image him. Your design is unlike the giraffes or the bacteria in the soil or the moon or anything else that's been created. You have the explicit design and intention to image the creator. This is why we want to be part of something great. It's why we want to be part of something exciting. The creative nature in us designed in the image of the creator we want to create. We want to create in friendships. We want to create out of new ideas. We want to, humans become entrepreneurial. Humans try things. We want to watch new shows or new series. Because of this creative expression, this creative element, unlike anything else in, in the universe. And I told, I told our core this morning when we met up to pray, I said, I, I, I just... This series is so important to me. I don't think I've ever done anything more important and read and studied and journaled so much for something. This is deep in me. I, I hope what you don't hear this morning is me trying to just get a concept across. This has everything to do with whether you and I chase after Jesus, the way of Jesus, the character that makes us alive and allows you to walk into a room and speak words and you don't know where they're coming from or how it happens, but speak words that encourage and give life. It all comes down to, I believe, whether or not you understand your design, your intended purpose. If we think we're supposed to just do this kind of religious thing, this sort of expression like, well, it's important to God, it, it almost makes him like some kind of egotistical God. He needs us to bow before him for a hundred years. And then when he starts smiling, we can take a break. Or, you know, it's like, it, no. God wants to share his creative nature with a being that can co-create with him. And not for our purposes, but to emulate his greatness. And when you understand this, when you actually get this internalized and you allow to affect, you know, going to school and why you go to school and friendships and why you go on vacation and you should go on vacation. It starts to affect every part of what's possible in interactions and what could happen on some random Friday or, or Monday morning. When God can be emulated out of you and through your words and in your creativity... 
you start to see the activity of God happen in front of you, and it's inexplicable. You're in awe. Like, I don't have words to explain what I know God is doing in my life. And it's addicting. And you know this is what I was made for. God wants a world, he wanted this world to be a place where life flourished and multiplied. And you and I are responsible for that. This has been entrusted to you and me. When you're trying to be religious, when you try to just read the Bible because it's just important. Sometimes people never get past that. This is what, this is what you do. When you're committed to God, you... you you go to church and you sing songs. and you're, When that's the sum of why you do it, you're not going to do it very long. I remember feeling so guilty early in my faith. I would try to read scripture. I'd get stuck in some places. And then I would just kind of quietly close the Bible. And I just, then I couldn't tell anybody. And a lot of it was rooted in the fact that I just didn't understand what I was designed. I was designed to become in my broken state, more and more of the image of the creator. And as I step toward that, my life makes sense. And my deep searching to matter just settles down because I see this, I'm now living in, I'm breathing in what I was designed for. I told some of our team this morning, I said, you know, I've never been so passionate about a series and I think I could mess this up this morning. I just think I could get in the way. I think I could... And I'm, I'm, I'm just being really honest. I'm really uh, trying to be transparent here that I believe we're on the precipice here with this subject. Whether I say it clearly or not, God will still, he'll still move us into this. That if we accept what our, our real purpose is, you are going to walk into a life and a future where you see God more active. You see the love of Jesus working in you and through you and coming out of your voice like you never could have imagined. We were designed to be responsible for the multiplication of life, the flourishing of life. Now, let's go to this, this idea of ruling over. Twice, in verse 26, if we could put this on the screen again, let us make mankind, humans in our image, so that they may rule over all other life. And then in verse 28, God blessed humans, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. That's not a very popular word, subdue, and rule over. So let's talk about these words here for a second. Rule over, in our world, unfortunately, makes us think of things like Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Or that principal in school who's just not nice at all. Or the bully. Or another country that poses threats. This is what comes to mind when we think of ruling over. We think of political leaders. Or we, this is not what rule over means to God. It never meant lord over. In God's space, in God's kingdom, rule over doesn't mean lord over. Rule over means to do what's needed so that life can flourish. And I'm going to give you a great example of this. Jesus, at the Last Supper, right just hours before the crucifixion begins, he's having the final meal. We, we referred to this a little bit last week. He's having the final meal with the disciples. He breaks the bread and he, he shares the wine. The disciples don't understand what that's referring to. It's, it's a foreshadow of his broken body. 
It's this incredibly important moment. And it's in this moment that the Father just releases all authority and power onto Jesus. We see it in, in John 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. All things. There's an English translation that says all authority had been given to Jesus. It's kind of in vogue today in leadership context, in, in books. I've, known, I've, I've seen this for probably a decade now. For probably 10 years or so, I've been seeing this common theme of what do you do when you realize you've walked into a room in a board meeting, team meeting at work, you walk into the room and you're the most powerful person in the room. What do you do? This is a question that comes up a lot. And it's just, it's sort of become this faddish kind of topic in leadership. Or what does the person do? The person at the head of the table or with the, the title that, that gives them the most amount of power. How do they act? How do they behave? What do they choose? How do they lead? Well, I'm telling you, there's nothing that SpaceX or NASA does to have any more power than this, than this scene. There's nothing in the media or Hollywood. There's nothing in a world power or in the White House. Nothing competes with this. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus later would say, when commissioning us into the world, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. And Jesus understands that here. All power, all authority. And so what does he do? What does the most powerful person in any room ever do? He gets up from the meal. He takes off the symbol of his power, of his authority, the rabbinical robe that, that rabbis wore. He takes that symbol off, lays it aside, and picks up a slave's towel, a servant's towel, the person who would stand at the door and wash the dirt and crud off the feet of the guest for dinner, and he begins washing the feet of the disciples. This is what rule over means in God's kingdom. We were designed to rule over all of life. And you may think, that's, that doesn't make sense. That, that's heresy. God rules over all life. God rules over all of life, and he's chosen to do so alongside you and me. And it's mind-blowing. And ruling over doesn't mean we tell people what to do, we're in charge. Rule over means that we ensure life flourishes. We make decisions. We speak words that ensure that we are expanding life. God's character, his intention, his creativity. Our purpose to rule over, to rule was never supposed to be for our own power or control. That's decreation. That's actually, that leads to decreation. That leads to broken relationships. That, that leads to all kinds of mess. Rule over means, it specifically means to be responsible for the replicating of. And this is what you were designed for. You were designed in conversations at work, sitting in traffic, buying a car, watching TV in your house, on vacation, friendships, dinner, work projects, you were designed in all of life to replicate life. You were designed 
to replicate the thriving of life, life and function, the potential and possibilities of all creation. This means over human relationships, community building, cities, organizations, yes, companies, how we would communicate in life-giving ways and travel that replicates thriving. This was the intention of the garden. We were designed to go through all the earth replicating life. And of course, we broke this. We became decreators. Instead of co-creators with God, we became decreators. We decided we would rule for our own power. And see, this just this warps, this is a warped view of what God intended. And within one page, the first murder happens. And then you see cities are being built where there's so much corruption and the invention of slavery, where humans own other humans. Within Eight to ten pages of God's story in Genesis, humanity is spiraling out of control because we took ruling over to mean for my power, for what I want, my agenda, rather than I'm going to rule over all that was created so that life will continue and life will flourish. Just this morning, I kid you not, I'm sitting on a bench this morning <laughs> going over this message and, and really the series. And I'm, I'm, I'm praying, God, help what's in here, my passion to, to come out. Make this clear. Don't let me get in the way. And I'm, I'm reviewing my notes and I'm, I'm sitting on this bench looking out over the lake, the, the, the lake near the front of South Riding where we live. And I see out of the corner of my eye my neighbor. And man, this is a sweet guy. He's an older guy, retired. We've built a really good friendship. And I, it's just one of those moments. And I have one of those thoughts like, oh, no, not, not right now. Because I've got something I've got to do before church this morning. I've got to finish going over this. And I'm telling you, when you practice the way of Jesus, when you practice the words of God's story in Scripture, when you practice worship, when you practice listening more than speaking, when you practice community, when you practice knowing what it is for God's Spirit to speak to you, you get better and better. Our goal is not perfection. Our goal is practice making better. You become better and better and more attuned when God's Spirit whispers to you, and that whisper sometimes is just crystal clear. Brad, turn and talk to your neighbor. And so I put this, I, I actually was holding this. I put this down, and I was like, Hormoz. And he came up to me, and within two minutes, he's telling me his wife's having surgery on Tuesday. My wife just had surgery. And so all of a sudden, there's some empathy happening, and he's concerned, and they're older. And I see and hear the concern in his face, in his voice. And we just have this little moment. You know, it's a minute or two, and I'm like, I said, listen, you know, as a pastor, I try not to be preachy with people, you know. And I said, hey, if I can just say this to you, I'm going to be praying for your wife on Tuesday. And he was like, Brad, thank you. We had this sweet moment, and he walks away. He said something about finish getting ready for church or something like that. He walks away, and it was just this instant of knowing this is why I'm on earth. In that moment, my purpose was not to come here and perform well and deliver this great message. My purpose was to perpetuate life. 
I didn't talk about Jesus to my neighbor. I didn't try to invite him to church or hurry up and get him to church. I don't know if he perceived the image of Jesus in what I said. I, I, I don't know. That's, that's not my job to force Jesus on someone. My job is to perpetuate life. And if someone recognizes it's Jesus, or maybe they don't yet, I, I just knew sitting on the bench, my job is not to go there today and preach a really great message. My job is to be that man's friend. Because that's what Jesus has done for me. When he could have easily seen, oh, here comes Brad. <laughs> here comes Brad. Jesus instead just stops and comes into my world and into my mess and walks with me and is patient with me. And this is what we're made for. And what, I, what I've been so concerned all week of messing up is whether this sounds enticing and exciting because it's so exciting to me that we were made to replicate life. We were made to co-create with God. And next week we'll get into, we're going to spend more time on how, you know, in the beginning of Genesis 1, um, the earth was formless and void. Well, God doesn't create chaos. So what's happening there? Wait a minute, what? It's, it's, God is telling us enough to say that creation is a process. And it's fascinating that he gets to all the elements of creation and it's all good and it's good and then he makes humans and it's very good, but he's not finished. Creation was actually not perfect in the sense that it was done because he creates you and me in his image to perpetuate his life. Well, that means there's more to be done. There's more God imaging to be done. And so we're going to spend some time on that next week. And I, my, my angst this week was, man, if, if, if people leave thinking, huh, okay, so my purpose isn't to make a lot of money and retire really well. My ultimate purpose is to image God. Okay, I'm going to just trust God with that. It's why we were made, designed, and it's your deepest craving. There's nothing you'll ever crave more, whether you're conscious of it or not. Your deepest longing is to live out this design, this engineering of you to breathe life into difficult situations, hard moments, confusion. Sometimes breathing life Replicating life means drawing a boundary with a toxic person. That can get confusing, but replicating life means, hey, th there's a lot of destruction happening here. We're going to put some healthy boundaries up so that damage, further damage isn't done. That requires hearing God's spirit and understanding when to speak and when to defend someone. You were designed for this. I think we're going to sing in heaven. I think we're going to have amazing worship. But what we're mostly going to do is reflect the creative nature of God that replicates relationships and laughter and good and beauty that shine, that make Jesus shine throughout the universe, creation. I'm going to just end with two quick stories here that I think help, and uh, I'm going to invite our band to come. So on Wednesday, both of these examples happened 
within about an hour of each other. I get a, a, a DM, a message on Instagram from a film director in New York. And so for those of you who don't know, I started a film festival about 11 years ago. And a lot of you helped me run it every October. And this isn't a famous director, but he's winning awards. He's an independent film. He's really doing well as a director. And he messaged me, hey, I just uh, submitted our new film to the Washington West Film Festival. Wanted to let you know. And then he said this. And it's interesting because I've never met this guy. We followed each other for a few years. He said, hey, and thank you for making a difference. And this isn't to tout anything. I'm not saying this because of anything other than the sense I had after I read this. He said, thanks for making a difference. And I haven't met him, and I have the impression, I'm not sure I'm right about this, I think he um, lives by a different faith. If I understand some posts I've seen so here's a man that may very well have a different faith than me, believe differently than I do. We've never met, but there's been something that he recognizes about what I know is Jesus living out of me. Not perfectly, but I'm getting better. I'm getting better at emulating Jesus. And there was just this sense reading this message on my phone like this is why I'm here. Even more than being a great pastor or being, you know, I want to accomplish this. My purpose in being here is to speak and behave in a way where I don't even know that I, I wasn't aware that I was creating some kind of impression, but they have the sense that I'm creating life. Okay, now if that seems like fancy, like, oh, well, that's about running an organization or that's about film directors. No, it's not. It's in every situation of life. So an hour later, Amy and her neck brace is looking out of our front window, and she's like, Brad, come over here. Look, there's a woman out on the sidewalk, this older lady, and she's just passed our house like two or three times. I, I'm, I think she's lost. And then Amy said the word dementia, and she's like, what, what could be wrong here? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm worried for her. And then Amy went and locked our front door. I was like, what, what, what? Why'd you lock the door? And she's like, I don't know. She, she could be confused. Like, what if she goes into somebody's house? And I just, and I'm, I'm telling you this, that this is in the moment of a really busy week where I feel behind. We've had surgery, and I, I've just, I felt behind all week trying to catch up. And there's that moment again, that voice that I've gotten better at hearing. Instead of locking our door, it's okay, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing Amy for wanting to lock the door. I'm, you know, I understand. But my sense was I need to go check on this lady. And she went, and she sat on the curb, like three houses up the street. And I just went, and I said, hey, hi, I'm a neighbor. Are you okay? We thought you might be lost. And she said, oh, I'm not lost. I'm the grandmother of the kids that live in this house over here, and they're all moving tomorrow, transferred out of the country. And, oh, my gosh, I'm here for the last bus drop-off. And I said, oh, my gosh, out of the, that sounds stressful. And she said, oh, you have no idea. And she starts telling me it's, uh, it's, it's been hard. This is hard, and they're leaving the country. And, and I just said, wow. And so we just chatted for a couple minutes, and I said, you know, have a good day. And I'm turning, and she said, hey, thank you for coming to, out here to check on me. And it was in that moment, again, this was a simple thing. It was, it was in that moment. An hour later from the Instagram message, I knew deep in my spirit, this is why I'm here. This is why I was made. This is why I was, I, I, I was not made to accomplish things that 
earn awards, that earn great money or some kind of retirement where I can sit and relax. I was designed now, just like when I'm 91, to perpetuate God's life, the image of Jesus. Whether I speak his name or someone recognizes that's who is being emulated or not, this is what improves our world. Washington, D.C. and Capitol Hill are not going to do it. We know the cycle now. It's not going to happen. Washington, D.C., whoever gets elected, Republicans, Democrats, I'm going to, I'm going to preach this mantra until I turn blue. It's never going to change the human heart. It doesn't have political power, right or wrong, left or right. None of it can change the human heart. What changes the human heart is the image of Jesus being spoken into dark, confusing, broken, lost situations. And that's what you and I were designed to do. In the garden, in the beginning, now in a broken world, and forever. Nothing will make you more satisfied. Nothing will settle your heart and make you feel more alive than accepting this, this purpose for you. And this is motivating to practice Jesus. We become better at imaging God when we practice the one who came is the perfect image of God.